cap, rummaged through her purse, and held out a handful of coins. With Olympian dignity, Rowan Rover indicated the proper currency and intoned, That will be three of the little round bronze ones, madam. Yes, they are rather like your American quarters, aren't they? Jack the Ripper the scourge of Whitechapel, killer of five aging prostitutes in the autumn of 1888, had been abstaining from mayhem for 101 years and four months. But his sinister presence was still felt in the East London thoroughfares between Houndsditch and Brick Lane. He was, in fact, a cottage industry, supporting, within his native borough, an inordinate number of tour guides, crime enthusiasts, T-shirt makers, and pub owners. Indeed, had a superannuated ripper appeared on the old turf, brandishing his bloody knife and proclaiming his guilt, the local residents might have been impelled to call the police, but many would also have felt obliged to stand the old boy a round of drinks while awaiting the law's arrival. Rowan Rover, tour guide and criminologist extraordinaire, owed much to Jack the Ripper. Not that he approved of butchering women, you understand. He himself was a lady killer, only in the metaphorical sense. But in an intellectual way, he had always been interested in tales of true crime, particularly in the enigmatic Jack. A century after the fact, the abomination of the Whitechapel slayings had dimmed to a nostalgic and scholarly absorption in criminology's greatest mystery. Besides, the public's morbid fascination with history's most famous serial killer had enabled a poor but clever Oxford alumnus to escape the thin gray line of academia in Wisconsin, Guyana, and Sri Lanka, after years of teaching English lit to the unwashed, the unpromising, and the uninterested, and to return to his native England in untenured triumph. Rowan Rover had thus escaped the wrath of two ex-wives. The third lived perilously close, in Glasgow, but you couldn't have everything. And he had put his upper-class English lecture voice and his teaching skills to more glamorous use, leading murder walks around London and giving seminars on English true crime. It was steady work. The Ripper tours drew a crowd in even the most inclement weather. And the exercise of a two-mile walk five nights a week had kept him as fit as a man half his age, despite his incessant smoking. It was not, however, an inordinately profitable way to earn a living, educating tourists at three pounds a head. Still, it provided him with a subsistence, an admiring audience to buy his book, and to stand him drinks at the pubs he cleverly wove into each evening's walk, and an occasional one-night stand gleaned from the pack of sightseers. No danger of one of those tourist birds becoming wife number four. Most of them were due to leave London only hours after their brief encounter, probably returning to husbands or lovers back home. 
Rowan Rover was always the first to agree with these birds that traveling did not actually count as part of one's real life. It was an agreeable existence, all in all, or it would have been if he could have catered to his own pure and simple needs and left it at that. Unfortunately, as an older Oxonian Oscar Wilde had put it, life is rarely pure and never simple. In Rowan Rover's case, the complications involved child support payments to wife number three, hefty public school fees for Sebastian Melmoth Rover, his son by wife number one, and some expensive recaulking required by Rowan's boat in order to keep afloat the residence that allowed him to live in London without paying the rates demanded by the city's demented estate agents. He lived in a cabin cruiser moored at St. Catherine's Dock.